Welcome to Focused, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm Mike Schmitz, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Mike. How are you today? Doing great. Excited to talk to you about my shiny new object a little bit later. Yeah, I know. You've been talking about it. Mike bought something, guys, so we will get there. But um, uh, this is, this was a good episode, I thought, to kind of get caught up. We've uh, we've been had a lot of guests lately, a lot of heavy topics, and... Uh, but we've had some smaller ones that uh, have been on the uh, the agenda. So I thought today we'd try and get through a few of them. We're going to talk about comms and focus, project management, and uh, we're going to also talk about Mike's new new toy. I'm not even going to tell you what the name is yet. <laughs> but if you look in the show notes, you'll figure it out pretty quickly. Comms and focus has been on my mind. I have received a bunch of emails from some of the Max Market Labs members that are struggling with this. And it really, I'm always struggling with it, honestly. Um, And I've just been trying to be a little more intentional about it and thinking about it. And I I thought that would be a fun topic to share a little bit. Um, I call it comms in focus, not email in focus, because it's more than just email anymore, right? Yep, exactly. And I do think, you know, there, there are issues on both sides of the aisle, as they say. I, uh, for me, for instance, with uh, more of the synchronous communication platforms like Slack and, and messages, I have got so bad, Mike, that I just don't even look at them like until the end of the day. You know, that old trick where you say, well, I'm only going to check email twice a day or, you know, in the morning and the evening. I'm getting like that with everything. And it's getting me in trouble, right? Because some of these these uh, communication methods, actually, you need to check it more than once a day. Um, and then sometimes I don't check it once a day. <laughs> and uh, and I got thinking, well, you know, you do have to find a balance with this stuff. And, and how do you stay focused but also stay present and connected where you need to be and have time to do your work? So I thought that would be a fun topic to kind of sink our teeth into a little bit. And and let's start with the uh, with the email. You know, even though this isn't just email, email is definitely a part of it. But I think it kind of gives a foundation for the discussion. Sure, sounds great. Let's do it. You know, email a solution for me for a long time has been time boxing as opposed to time blocking. Um, you know, we talk about um, you know hyper. Um, scheduling and the idea that you, you pick those things that are most important to you and you block out time for them. Like if there's a, you know, if you're writing your novel or, you know, doing the big sales presentation, whatever it is that you're doing that's important to you and you can't seem to find time for it. One of the magic ways through, through what we call hyper scheduling is to say, okay, well, I'm just going to, on Sunday, I'm going to pick uh, two or three two-hour blocks. I'm going to put them on a calendar like they're appointments with another person, and I'm going to give that project that time, and I'm going to protect it and do all that. So that's great. Um, but there's an inverse of that when you see that there's parts of your life that are taking too much time. And for me, that's, that's always email. Um, uh, the nature of my business, both as a lawyer in the past and now as a as a Max Sparky means I get a lot of email to process. Sometimes it's like customer support stuff that I need to handle. Sometimes it's not as urgent, but it just keeps coming. And I think that's true for everybody. But 
the problem with email is that, you know, it multiplies on itself. Uh, as an example, just a few weeks ago, I, I did a big blowout on email and I went through like 200 emails and answered a bunch of them and everything. And you know what happened the next morning, Mike? <laughs> hmm. I'd like a hundred email because <laughs> when you send an email quite often, that means you get another email back. You know, it's the act of responding that generates another response. You know, it can go on for a long time. So actually trying to do it creates more work. Um, but you know, so the idea of time boxing email is, is, uh, not something I invented. I think it's a lot of people have done this trick, but you just say, look, I'm going to give email, X amount of time. And you have to figure out what that is for you. Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's an hour. I don't know, but figure out an amount of time that's less than you're spending on email currently and box it in, you know, put something together to stop it. I have a, um, a time timer. It's just a little clock. I got off Amazon for like 15 bucks. Uh, you wind it. I think it's a teacher's tool, but you wind it up and when you get to the end of the time, it uh, it gives a little beep, and then I stop. No matter where I'm at with email, I st- I don't even send the one that I'm working on. I just stop and move on, and I t- treat it uh, treat it very religiously. You know, just like I'm not going to do more than this on email a day, and um, and I think that helps, but that's not going to work for everybody, right? Yeah, I'm familiar with the time timer, and uh, I love that it has a email forcing function for you. That's a, a brilliant, brilliant use of it. Um, I think the the thing with email that makes it difficult, and it's not just email, but there's this trade-off between I want to get this thing off of my plate and doing that quickly enough to stay ahead of the tide. Because like you said, if you clear out 100, you'll have 100 more tomorrow. But that urgency or recency bias when it comes to dealing with email. I personally believe in the long term that has severe negative effects. I have noticed this with the the day job because it's not just email. It's also the way that we use the uh, the project management tool for us. That's, that's ClickUp. And uh, I've noticed that the tendency is, well, I'm just going to comment on this thing and then I'll send it back to somebody else. Uh, but it's really easy to see in ClickUp as opposed to email when you have to go back and forth 20 different times in order to actually resolve the issue that is being discussed there. It's it's all listed in line and you have trouble grokking the, the whole path of the, the task. And you can look at that and instantly kind of judge it like, oh, well, this this is taking too long. We weren't clear enough. That's really the the key. So for me, I think it's a combination of when you do get back to somebody via email, and it would apply to ClickUp too, uh, not just reacting, but responding appropriately. And and this is easier said than done. I have the same tendency to just, well, I'm going to clear this off my plate and we can deal with something else later. But I really do believe that if you think ahead a little bit and kind of anticipate the question behind the question or the reason why they're asking something and maybe you can get out ahead of it and, and respond to it. That has the potential to reduce a lot of that email ping pong. Yeah. So let, let's, uh, I think that's really another piece of this. It is 
there are different types of email. And I think you need to be conscious of that. Like there is the email um, that says, Hey, are you going to, uh, Oh, let me give an example of my life. Uh, hey, I, uh, my license key doesn't work for the Max Sparky labs, right? It's a very simple email. It's not, we're not planning a project together. It's not something that's going to have 50 pingbacks. I need to go online, figure out what went wrong with their account, send them an email and tell them how to fix it. You know, usually that is a, a query email to me, a response email uh, for me back to the person. And then maybe a thank you email for them to me. This is not an email thread that's going to go into 20 or 30 items. Um, but that is a category of email that you think about differently than a work project email where you're saying, Hey, we need to, you know, make the big pitch on this, you know, we're going to sell the Apple account next week and Tim Cook's coming in or whatever, you know, you know, what, what does he like to eat? What are we going to, you know, what slides are we going to use? Does anybody know how to use PowerPoint, et cetera? Right. So we're going to go through and have all this thing going on. And then that becomes email threads. That is an entirely different level of problem for email. I think that's kind of what you're mentioning, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you have someone that you work with, maybe they're a higher up, maybe they're just a coworker, the tendency can be, well, these are the best practices when it comes to communicating clearly and effectively. And this person is not doing that. So you can get upset that they didn't do that and you can just do it back to them, right? That's the, <laughs> the, 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 the thing that kind of triggers in my brain when I see that is like, well, if you're not going to be clear, then why, and you're not going to spend any time trying to communicate effectively, why should I bother? Because ultimately it's going to bite me if I don't communicate effectively. Yeah. It's in my best interest if I act like the adult in the room here. <laughs> and even though they're not doing what they should be doing, maybe I'll just fill in the the gap there. That's going to ultimately save me time if even if what I, I'm not getting what I need, I can kind of piece this together, even if it's a little bit more effort on my end and eliminate some of that back and forth if necessary. Yes. And I think when you recognize you're in that type of a problem, you need to have a different solution. And I think one of them can be uh, to create a, uh, I don't know what we call it, a process or a, you know, you, you set up a way to deal with it outside of email, right? Uh, you know, if you've got the big sales presentation to Apple, you say, okay, here is a link to a Google Doc with all the outstanding questions or or issues that we're working on. Everybody can work on there, and let's plan on having a meeting on Thursday at two o'clock. You know, and at that point, you get it out of email, and that sounds like you're doing the same work, but just in a different place. But that cognitive price that Mike was referring to earlier goes away when you get it out of email. Well, it can go away. However, I would argue that bad email habits translate into bad Slack habits and bad project management tool habits. You know, if you're not used to communicating clearly, concisely, effectively, it, it takes a different mindset in order to, to start doing that. Uh, we've been working with a business consultant at the day job who's trying to help us get a little bit better at that. For some reason, you know, I this this kind of thing just drives me up a wall. But uh, sometimes you need a consultant to come in and, and say something. And it's it lands different, right? So yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, we've got the the best practices. We've got the documented 
you know, this is the the processes that we're going to to follow. Um, so that's a whole nother topic maybe is like, well, you don't follow those 100% of the time. But uh, if you do have those, they do kind of act as guide rails and they they put you in the, they push you in the, the right direction. Um, but I do think, because I've seen it, you know, just by moving a conversation from email to Slack does not mean that the communication instantly gets better around the, the topic or into the project management tool. Uh, it's very easy to just fall into the meta discussion about the work, uh, specifically with something big that you're trying to solve. You can end up talking about the, the problem at length. And yeah, you do need to know what the problem is. But if all you ever do is talk about the problem and don't ever brainstorm solutions, there's no decision that ever gets made. You can't move forward together towards the execution of that. That's what I'm noticing with working with a team is just continually guiding people back to, okay, so what are we actually trying to do here? Um, and the, the tools that we have, they're great. You know, they allow us to communicate efficiently, but they don't always allow us to communicate effectively. Or they don't facilitate us communicating effectively. Uh, at least not automatically. It takes a little bit more intentional use of the technology in order to leverage it for good. So what do you recommend? Well, I think uh, when it comes to the synchronous-ish communication, as you you talked about it, which uh, is Slack, but also in the, the business world can also mean email. That's one of the things I've kind of been shocked by, but I kind of knew it was already already there, but I've seen it for myself is, a lot of people view email as a synchronous-ish communication tool, um, and that is what it is. You know, sometimes you're not able to shift those expectations, but you can at least provide the intentionality behind the discussion. Like I said, it may not be your project, it may not be your issue that needs to get solved, and someone can bring that and start the conversation, initiate it, and just have no clarity no path forward with this. So at that point, I guess what I do when that happens is I ask clarifying questions and sometimes they are very direct. Like, so what is the actual issue we are trying to solve here? (laughs) What is the actual decision that needs to be made? What is the thing that is holding this back from being executed and allowing us to, to ship this thing? And uh, I think that's ultimately what what you need to do anytime you work with other people, you can't control everything that they do, right? But you can just keep shining the light on the the thing that that should be the the point of focus. What is the decision to be made here, or who is going to actually do the thing? And then you can combine that with the time boxing that you were talking about earlier. I think that's really where the magic happens when when you learn to develop this effective mindset for synchronous ish communication. Um, then people have more respect for you when you say, I can't deal with that right now. It's almost like you've proven yourself as an effective communicator and you get things done. So because you get things done, that alleviates some of the urgency. Like, well, I guess I don't really need an answer to this right now. I can put it in the proper place and and you can deal with it tomorrow, which is another thing that I, I have to deal with is, right? So the expectations are there. The processes are there put it in the the clickup task and mention me there and I'll get you an answer within a day. But that doesn't mean that I never get pinged in Slack and be like, Hey, do you have a minute? Can you think about this? And it's just constantly redirecting. It's almost like 
working with your your kids and training them. It's like, well, if you need something, then you should create a task for it. You know, send me the link and I will make sure that I resolve that within 24 hours. Right? Not to be a jerk about it, but it's constantly reminding like, hey, this is the the rules that we all agreed to play by. Yeah. And, and I think we're both kind of coming at this from opposite directions, but I feel like that type of problem needs systemic change and um, digital tools saying like, okay, um, we are just going to take the same bad email habits and use them in Slack is still causing the same amount of grief. I think rather you would want to identify when you are bumping up against something that isn't appropriate for that type of communication and have a system and say, okay, well, when we do something like this, this is the way we work together. And it's not everybody sends each other 15 emails. Yes, exactly. But when you move a, a email message thread like that, that isn't being communicated effectively about to Slack instead of 15 emails, now you have 55 Slack messages. You just communicate poorly faster. <laughs> and that's, that's my point. I'm not saying Slack is the answer either. You know, honestly, yep. if you're in an office, then the answer is this is a big project. You know, we're going to have a place digitally where we keep track of things, but we're going to make decisions together. And that's an effective use of a meeting, whether it's on Zoom or in a, around a conference table. Uh, I think that's a much faster way to get there than, and less stressful way to get there than, you know, all these emails back and forth. 100%. And that that's one category of this. And I think that's the point is you need to keep track of these things. I mean, you don't know, you know, what you're up against until you kind of categorize what the communication is and how much time do we spend on communications that are simple that just don't need to exist versus how many that are big project based that need an entirely different system. But I, I don't think people do that. I think you just open email and you start going through it without really thinking, does this need to be here? And what I'm getting at is I think the solution to this isn't necessarily ignoring communications, email, Slack, and those things, but questioning whether they're the right tool for the problems that you are dealing with. If you can get more of your work out of those categories that involve email and Slack, then that means you can spend more time on your work. Yes. Uh, the right tool is an interesting description because sometimes I think email, if you're not working with a, an in-person team, email may be the right tool. So I guess what I'm saying is let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to, to email and, and Slack. I, I know that there's a, a mindset you know, that it is reinforced by bad habits there, but I don't actually think Slack in and of itself is a, a bad tool that creates this always connected feeling. Uh, it's the way that people use it. And there are things that you can do to, to tame that. But yeah, you do have to ask yourself, what's the most effective way to get this real issue resolved? If it's a decision to be made, Maybe it is we meet in person or we hop on a phone call and, and solve this. Uh, I've also seen the dark side of that <laughs> in a, an organization where if, you, if that is the, the default, uh, especially with a lot of high fact finders, you, know, you can 
have a whole bunch of calls scheduled, a whole bunch of meetings where, again, things get talked about, but no decisions actually end up being made. So it's not the the tool itself. It's the way that that we use it that creates all the, the stress and anxiety. I really do believe that when it comes to communication, if we could just improve our ability to communicate and not worry about what other people do because we can't control that, but if we can improve our ability to communicate, we can make things so much easier on ourselves. But it doesn't seem like it would really do that in the the short term. It's it's the kind of thing where it maybe is a little bit harder in the the interim if you're going to take responsibility for directing the conversation in the way that it should go, even if you're not the boss or it's not your issue, right? But ultimately, that is going to create a calmer work environment. This episode of the Focus Podcast is brought to you by Nom Nom. Healthy, fresh food for dogs formulated by top board-certified veterinary nutritionists. Prepped in their kitchen with free delivery to your door, you get 50% off if you go to trynom.com focused. There's nothing worse than when your dog's food doesn't sit well. What can you feed them that they'll gobble up and will help them thrive? You need to hear about Nom Nom. Nom Nom delivers fresh dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs, so you can bring out their best. Nom Nom's made with real whole food you can see and recognize without any additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. That's because Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real good food for dog. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists, made fresh and shipped free to your door. Nom Nom's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours, inspiring millions of clean bowls and tail wags. I'm a Nom Nom subscriber, and that's because my dog loves this food. When I feed her her meal with Nom Nom, it comes back looking like the bowl has been sandblasted. She licks it so clean, it looks like it came just out of the dishwasher. I can't get over how much she loves her food. And this dog has always been a little bit of a troublesome eater. But man, she loves that Nom Nom, and she cleans out that bowl every time. I was talking to my wife about it, and I realized that if my dog was buying my food, She'd buy Nom Nom for me. It's just that good. And it's a no-brainer because Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. There's no fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. So go right now for your 50% off, no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash focused for 50% off. Trynom.com slash focused. Try it today and make your dog so happy. And another issue on my mind lately in terms of focus and like staying on target is project management. And I know this is something that everybody struggles with. Um, we even, you know, straight into it a bit in the last segment, but uh, with the, the changes in my life, I have been working with a team. It's a small team, but uh, I've got different people doing different pieces of the stuff for me. I do most of it, to be honest, but but the people that are helping me are, are really key and fundamental. And that forced me down the rabbit hole, you know, over the last six months of trying to figure out the best way to have a reliable system to to run a project management without having it take over my life. So I, I know everybody struggles with this stuff, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to just go down the logical process for me. Let's do it. Before we before we start, I'd like to hear, what do you define as a, a project? Well, uh, this morning we shipped a, a newsletter out for the Max Barkey Labs. That's a project. 
Uh, I'm working on a new field guide. That's a a project, a lot bigger, but it's it's also a project. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every blog post is a project. Every podcast episode is a project. I have a lot of projects. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I asked, because uh, I think that's an important distinction. I guess with the 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 day job the the projects can almost that definition almost feels like we would call them rocks they're the things that the big things that we're trying to ship in the next quarter but it doesn't necessarily have to be that a project could be anything with multiple steps going back to the GTD definition but really I think as it pertains to working with a team it's anything that requires uh, some outside help or other people to to help you get the thing across the finish line well for me uh, historically anything that I ship was run through OmniFocus, my task manager, and, you know, a combination of some time blocking as well. But that's not going to fly when other people need to see where something stands, right? Uh, OmniFocus is not a collaborative tool. And we've had this explosion of collaborative tools. Um, So I wanted to look for something that we could could, uh, put together where team members could see where I am in the process and we could use this as a communication tool kind of to go back to the last segment as opposed to Slack or mail. Um, Like one of the issues I didn't like about when this all started was um, like I would have a video out for edits and the, the editor would send me an email or you'd put something in Slack or it would be in an entirely different platform as to where it was. So I'd have to look at, you know, tasks related to anomaly focus. And, you know, we had an air table where we kept um, kind of a status board of the video projects. And then we've got notes coming in in Slack and it just seems silly to go to three places. So I was looking for a way to uh, consolidate this. And uh, the benefit I have here is that there's only, you know, four or five members of this team, really there are only two or three. And um, so I don't need a massive tool, um, but I did want something that kind of gave us a single kind of source of truth with relation to a lot of the stuff going on. Um, so I st- started in Basecamp because I was familiar with the tool. I've used Basecamp. Um, one of the team members is not particularly uh, technologically savvy, and she knows Basecamp and she likes it. So I didn't want to, you know, mess things up for her. But it was clear to me that as nice as Basecamp was, it really wasn't what I was looking for. Sure. So what did you land on? Well, I, I looked at a bunch of stuff. I went to, you know, everybody's in Notion. That's the, that's the, that's the team collaboration tool. I mean, it seems like every small team that I know of works in Notion, <laughs> but uh, again, it felt a little fiddly to me. And I, you know, we did an episode on it in Mac power users. I've talked to some people who are pretty, pretty expert at, and Notion, I'm sure I could have put it together with a little time. Um, but I was also looking again at some of my team members and thinking, this is going to be you know, a learning curve for them. And do I want to invest in this platform right now? And the other thing I had going for me is that we're all very Apple-centric on my team. Um, so is there something I can use that's a little friendlier, like Apple software is, that maybe doesn't do as much as notion, but, but still gives us the collaboration tools we need. And about that time, the craft app came out with the uh, commenting feature where I can put comments into craft documents 
and flag them on shared members and they get you know notifications of them and like all of a sudden like all the pieces started to fall into place and um so i don't know about four or five months ago we moved into craft and craft is a i don't know it's a, it's another personal knowledge management app i guess you would call it it's it's not as powerful as obsidian but it is very collaborative and more user friendly um again we did an episode of that on mac power users too uh but the uh, i i feel like craft was a real good landing spot for me because i've created a situation where um I can use automation tools to create new projects very easily. You know, craft is tied up with the um, it's tied up with uh, shortcuts, you know, so I can create new craft notes on the fly with a shortcut. And because a lot of my projects are template based, I can just drop all the information in there about the individual project. Um, so much so that I'm putting the task list related to that project in there too, which is unusual for me because usually that would be an OmniFocus. And so when some crazy idea occurs to me or when some automation kicks off, a new project gets generated in craft. Um, it gets shared with everybody on the team. Um, it creates the calendar events for the release dates, just like all the little pieces that I need get taken care of with just a few keystrokes. But then as well, the whole team has the ability to, to see where it stands and where it is on the checklist. Nice. So a couple questions uh, about that. When you are kicking off a project in, in craft, and it's showing up on the, the calendar. Is that just linking to the note and then, whatever you are creating is the contents of that note or are there like checklists that are associated with this and it's being handed off between multiple team members? So the way it works with my team, which is admittedly small is it creates a new craft note. And depending on the type of content, it creates a custom note based on that. Like if it's a video, it has certain bits of information. If it's a newsletter, it's something else, you know, just the, you know, every type of content kind of has its own special needs uh, labs content as well, because the lab stuff goes to different people and it, it's got different links, et cetera. So the, the craft note is the, as I say, the source of truth for that project. And it's got all the links and everything right there. And the task list is just a task list generated inside craft. Now I also have a series of calendars shared with the people on the team and it just creates an iCloud-based calendar event for, the, you know, like an all-day event for the release date of this or that. And that way I can make changes to it in my calendar and everybody sees it. All of this stuff depends on, on the, the size of your team and the way things are managed. But I have a content creation business where I am the exclusive content creator and I do most of the work. So... You know, I'm the one kind of making decisions about how stuff goes down. So it's it's very much a kind of top-down process for the way things are created and set up. That doesn't mean we don't have uh, occasional meetings and talk about ideas for future content. And and if somebody says, oh, I'm not going to be able to get this done by that day, we move it. You know, it, there's a lot of give and take. But in general, you know my job is to come up with the ideas and to execute on them. And the people that help me are there to help me make sure it's done as best as possible. 
So this has actually worked really well for me, I guess we're getting to. I mean, in terms of being able to focus on making the, the content and not managing it, um, the steps I took here, I've already got the time back very easily because everything sets up so easily and calendar so easily that, you know, I spend the bulk of my time wearing a maker hat, not a manager hat. That's the goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of the Einstein quote, everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think that's the ideal solution for your team and, and your workflow. I've definitely seen with the day job more complicated uh, more complicated solutions, I guess, with ClickUp, but also some of the problems that that can that can create. Uh, so with the projects and the tasks that we work on there, you've got not only the, the people who are assigned to the tasks, but you can also have watchers and start dates and due dates and conversations and, and all that kind of stuff. But the problem with all that metadata is that you have a whole bunch of metadata. Then you got to keep it up to date. And that's the thing that I've seen uh, with Notion. So I want to come back to this because you're right. that That is something that you could cobble together exactly what you want, although it sounds like Craft is, is perfect for you. I've used Notion a lot in the past. The Sweet Setup team uses Notion. And I actually use it for my personal stuff. Uh, and I've seen the the traps of Notion because you can, with Notion, not just have like the content that you were talking about. And that's primarily how we used it at the Sweet Setup is this is an email and this is the subject line and this is who it's going to and here's the contents of the email. But you can go nuts creating all the different metadata stuff like what's the URL for this? What's the preview URL? URL? What's the, the permalink? Who's assigned to write this? Who's working on it currently? What product is this pointing to and that just creates all this friction when it comes to actually creating the the content as a as a creator you just want to create right and if you have to identify all that stuff that can be a unnecessary roadblock that you have to to overcome and i think that's where people can get in trouble with some of these like build your own tools like like notion is you can do anything so people do anything and then they craft a system that's too complicated for them to possibly hope to keep tabs on well, a couple of things that have been refinements for me is the metadata is smaller. You know, the original metadata in these forms was bigger. It's like, what is the YouTube link? What is the link of the post that goes out to the labs members? If there is one, what is, you know, and I realized I was spending time adding these links and I never went back and looked at them. There was just no need for them at all. So those have been dropping out of the templates uh, but what I do find useful is a very simple task list. Um, you know, like uh, uh, the newsletter is a good example, you know. Um, so uh, there's a research step. There's a rough writing step. There is a, an a initial edit step. And then there's a secondary edit step. So those first three steps I do. And then I get to the secondary edit. And uh, usually it's JF. I uh, I just flag him on the craft document on that line item and send an at JF. Hey, could you look at this for me? And he does. And he makes edits and the text is right in the craft document. One of the nice things about having people you trust is I don't need to track changes. Just go change it. You know, if you see, you know, uh, something grammatically wrong or factually wrong, just fix it. And then I go back and read it again one last time. 
And then there's a production step where I can give that to another person and say, hey, put this into ConvertKit and set up the publication. You know, But everybody knows exactly where it is and that. We found that very useful, but it has it's been very easy to implement because it's just a simple list on a page. And one of the nice things with craft is, you know, every page is linked. In fact, every line in every page is linked. So if we have a problem, they can see it. Um, my team member who's not particularly technological has no problem using craft. And so much so that I send her links sometimes in text messages that are deep links in craft and it goes straight to the line I want her to look at, you know, and she does fine with it. So that that's been kind of like the payoff of it. And again, I'm not spending a lot of time managing these things because it's all created via automation. Um, and it's local automation. I don't have to use a cloud service or it's just very reliable. You know, I, I hit a few buttons, I type in the name of a project and everything's done. Um, there are some things though, that we have been refining on it as we go through it. Um, uh, one of the, one of them was, it was, I was having trouble keeping track of what is active and what's done. And initially I had set it up with a system where there were subfolders, like, you know, the active newsletters versus the shipped newsletters, you know, and I realized that is silly. So I am just got a big list of newsletters, but what I've done is I've created a, a master project document in craft where, because it links very easily, just like obsidian, I just have all the active ones listed there by category. And I, part of my daily review is to take a look at that and see what's on deck, what I'm working on. And when something ships, I just delete it from that page. I'm not deleting the actual document. I'm deleting the link. And then I only see links to the things that matter. So that's been a nice refinement. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good approach. I have done something similar with, you mentioned obsidian. So when I write something, I've got a metadata there. This is a little, little nerdy, but I, I just changed the status to published. Hazel takes that and then puts it in the, the archived folder so that when I go into the articles folder, I'm essentially seeing a master list, kind of like what you've described of all of the things that I'm writing that are currently active. Yeah, I wish Craft had like a Kanban view or something more graphical. So it'd be even more obvious to the team what stands where. But a text list works too. It's got a heading. It's got a list underneath it. People can figure that out. Um, and and I did look at Obsidian for this whole process, but it's just not collaborative enough. I mean, the the thing that really pushed me over the top towards craft was I put an app mention to any team member on any line anywhere in that database. And they get a notification saying, Hey, take a look at this specific spot. They click one button and they're on that page at that spot, you know, and that's, that's perfect for a small team. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, another thing. So, so I do a daily audit with a master project list. Uh, another thing I'm working on, this isn't fully implemented yet, but I have regular calls with everyone on the team, you know, and, uh, you know, so I talk to them, find out what they're thinking about and anything, any ideas they have, what they like and don't like. But a lot of times that sources out of email conversations or texts or Slack messages, and I've decided that is just another source of friction. So I'm setting up very obvious places in craft that we're just going to have what I call a discussion list. And we'll have one, each person will have a discussion list for me. 
and I'll have, and it'll be the same list I can work off as well. So I can write things down that I want to talk to him or her about, and he or she can write things down that they want to talk to me about. So if we let too long go and I see that list is getting too long, I can make a point to get them on the phone. Uh, the other thing I'd like to do is have a team discussion list because I want to do a monthly call with everybody. And I think it'd be a good idea to just have a running list for that. And that way everybody knows what's, what's up. Haven't done that yet, but I'm getting, getting that set up. <laughs> That's a great idea. I love the, the list for the individual conversations. I've done that myself, but we didn't have a formal place for it. It was just an obsidian note that I had when, uh, I, when I was working with, with Sean, there were things that would pop up and I would need to get answers from him. And so whenever we would have regular meetings, I would just have my, my list of things that I had been saving to that note and I would crank through them in the 15 minutes that we had. Yeah. I I've done the same thing for years using OmniFocus perspectives. Like I would have a tag for a person. And if that person showed up in my office, then I'd just look at the tag and talk about everything on the list. And I always told them to do the same. I've, I've been a big fan over the years of scheduling meetings to go over little items. This kind of gets back to what we talked about in the last segment. I don't want to have to like put my brain on decision-making about little thing problems all day long. I'd rather like at four o'clock sit down and just say, let's go through everything that's on our respective lists and get it resolved right now. It takes less time and it's definitely less cognitive load. And so I've done it for years, but I had my list. And like when I was in the law practice, my secretary had her list, but I've never had a shared list before. This is new for me where we can both see each other's lists, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's actually a good idea. Yeah. So I can see what's on their mind. And sometimes they may write something on their list that I can fix before we even talk. That's nice. But, but I, I think this is a, a nice way to do it. One of the weird things about craft is it doesn't really have a mechanism to share like a specific folder or uh, individual documents. It's kind of all in because you can have different vaults, but once you let somebody in a vault, everything in the vault, they get to see. And mm. that was a little weird for me because I've always been pretty secretive about things because I used to have client documents. I just, you know, I spent 30 years trying to protect client secrets, but this isn't really that this is, you know, nerdy stuff I'm making a video about or, uh, you know, whatever, but craft gives them access to everything. And I, I've kind of just embraced it and I put pretty much everything in there. So some of the team members see files and documents about stuff that they're not working on, but they can see what everybody's working on. And they, for instance, they can all see the magic master project list that I'm working up, working off of. And I think that can only be good if they want the information it's there, but it's not in the way. Exactly. That's a, a big thing, especially as you get a bigger team that everyone understands what everybody else is doing so that all the things can come together at the end and, and have a shippable product. That's one of the things I actually really like about uh, my role with the the day job. I've always been fascinated by the whole topic of project management and specifically with a team. I really like the idea of of Scrum and that's kind of the traditional place that I've seen the Kanban boards be used. You've got the backlog where this is what the team's going to work on and then this is the stuff that is in progress. This is the stuff that's blocked for review and just having those things hand off between people seamlessly and eliminate the friction of a team working together, nothing makes me happier. (laughs) 
I've got a, but, uh, I've got a stream deck button that points at the, you know, cause craft can be opened to a specific page with a URL callback, or it could be a shortcuts action, but I've got a button on my stream deck. I push that button and it clears off my screen and just gives me the pro- master project list. And it's very comforting to know I'm one button push away from the overview. Yep. Yep. That's a underrated uh, piece of, of people working together. I, I feel um, one other thing I wanted to add with the, the lists of, of things, uh, another option would be reminders. So with my, my role, uh, it's officially uh, in the integrator position, which comes from like the EOS business operating system. So I work very closely with the CEO visionary and uh, we have a daily meeting and he wants, well, we both want the ability to add things to this, this list to be discussed in these, these daily meetings without any friction. And the most the easiest way to do that for Apple nerds is using reminders. So we have a shared reminders list that we just add things to, and then we keep the, the order prioritized. Uh, I did actually go in and turn off the, the notifications so I don't get notified every time he adds something or vice versa. But uh, that works really well. Uh, we've been doing that for a couple of months now. Yeah. And if we weren't fully invested in craft, that's how I would do it. Like if I was running this out of obsidian, I would definitely have shared reminder lists for us to do stuff like that. Uh, I could also like have a list of projects and shared reminders. There's a lot of ways I could have done this, um, that are not as, uh, uh, as informative as craft with craft. They get the whole enchilada, you know, but the, um, but there's other ways I could have done it that weren't quite so extreme and allowed me to stay with a tool like obsidian and an OmniFocus. But for this, I just felt like ultimately I wanted something where I could generate the project with uh, the least amount of time and manage it with the least amount of babysitting. But I also wanted the team members to be able to see any questions I had, or I being able to see any questions they had and go exactly to the point in the system where that problem existed. And it just seemed to me like, why fight it? You know, the craft is really yep. built for that. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty sweet solution for the way that you work with your team. And you've got me wanting to go play with it again. I, it's not Notion. I mean, it's not going to give you the variety of Notion. And as an example, one thing that has remained outside of the system is for the field guides, you know, there are 100 at least a hundred videos for each new field guide, you know, somewhere between five and seven hours of a video. There's a ton of work be, to be done managing all of those videos and their status. And are they edited? Is there closed captioning? All that stuff. And we developed an air table around that years ago. That is very effective because you can change the sort order and have different views. And, you know, Airtable does a really good job of presenting that data clearly to you. I would have loved to put that in craft as well, just so it's everything is there, but it just doesn't work because it, the craft table functions are not, they can't hold a candle to Airtable. So the solution is the, the project, like for instance, I'm currently working on the obsidian field guide. The, the project page in craft has a link direct link to that Airtable. And you can get to it very quickly, but it's not contained within craft. Yeah, that that's okay. I, I think that's one of the 
pitfalls of what people call PKM apps because PKM personal knowledge management is not everything in a single app. It yeah. is all of the information that comes into your world. And do you have the tools that you need to manage it? Well, I actually just did a talk about this for the focus course, uh, the, the cohort with Sean where I went through all the different tools that I use for personal knowledge management. And there's a calendar and there's a personal task list and there's the company task list. And there's the fancy note card that I write my tasks uh, that I want to get done today on. And there's the to yet be discussed shiny new object, <laughs> right? It's just recognizing what is the job that I am hiring this, this tool to do. I refer to it as the arc of obsidian. That's where you get obsidian and you're like, wow, this is kind of fun. And I can do a lot of stuff with it. And then the second phase is where you decide to do everything in obsidian, everything. <laughs> and then the third phase is where you back up a little bit and say, oh, wait a second. This is a great tool, but it's not everything. <laughs> this episode of Focus is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, sell anything, your products, your services, even the content you create. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can sell your products in an online store, whether you sell physical or digital goods. Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. You can get started with a best-in-class website template and customize it to fit your needs. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business to find the perfect starting place. And then you can customize it with just a few clicks. And you can get stuck in with SEO tools where you can use a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence amongst search results. I've been a happy Squarespace customer myself for many years. I've used it for lots of different projects at this point. And the thing that I love about Squarespace is that it makes it so easy to get started. In a previous life, I was a web developer, so I know how to spin up sites and update plugins, manage databases, things like that, but it's too much trouble for what it's worth. When you compare it to what Squarespace gives you, it really is a very simple decision. It's the place that I recommend people start whenever they have an idea for something that they want to make online. Whether it's an online store where you're actually shipping physical goods, I built a site for somebody one time who sold barnwood furniture, and we did it on Squarespace. Or a podcast like the one that I host with my wife, The Intentional Family, that's on Squarespace. Or you need a, a website for an event, like a, a wedding, where I set up one for a basketball tournament that we were putting together with the Boys and Girls Club in our community. Squarespace just makes it so easy to set that stuff up, and you got a fully functional website that looks great on every device very, very easily. So head over to squarespace.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, for a free trial right now with no credit card required. And when you are ready to launch, use the offer code FOCUS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash FOCUS. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code FOCUS to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the FOCUS podcast. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, so I've been teasing this all episode. I can't contain it any longer. Dave, I got to talk about my shiny new object. Yes. Yes. You've been telling me about it. What did you buy, Mike? <laughs> I bought an Onyx Books Tab Ultra. Which what a name. Is, what a name. Yeah. It's a 
fairly terrible name for a fairly awesome device. <laughs> it's a e-ink tablet that runs full Android. So what that means is that in addition to the built-in books tools, I'm a an Android newbie here. So forgive me if I display my ignorance, um, but there are a, a handful of, of tools that are built in that are, are books tools. So there's a browser, there's calendars, there's a whole library that you can send digital files to via the web. There's um, the, the ability to scan documents. Like There's a special tool for that. Uh, there's also a notes tool. And that's the thing that kind of got me into it is uh, the idea of taking notes on this e-ink device because I've had a remarkable for a while and I've actually found myself using that more and more. But uh, it had a couple of, of limitations here, which I'll discuss in a second. But uh, essentially, if I were to kind of describe this thing, it's sort of like uh, the Amazon Scribe. I think that's the the closest thing that is widely popular, except it can run Obsidian and other Android apps. Yeah, it's really the next step for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, the <laughs> uh, Rem- Remarkable had uh, applications that were developed by the Remarkable folks. But that's all it had. You couldn't sideload apps onto it. With the Onyx book, you can. So you've bought an Android tablet that has all the benefits of being an Android tablet, but the screen is e-ink. Yes, and that is one of the things that held me back from this for a while because my experience with e-ink tablets was essentially my Kindle Paperwhite that I've had for years and then the Remarkable. And I was kind of blown away when I got the Remarkable that there wasn't a huge amount of lag when you were writing on the screen. I kind of expected there would be. That was always the killer feature of the iPad, right? So great writing experience, very thin tablet with a battery life that lasted days and even weeks. But I recognized with the Remarkable, there are a couple things that just kind of drove me nuts. Number one was that you can't use templates on the Remarkable. And this feels like such an oversight. We built the the action pad template that we sold with the new year calendars, right? I worked with Jesse on that because I wanted to use that on my remarkable and you can't do it. You can upload a PDF file, but that means that if I wanted to have that for the entire year, I got to duplicate that page 365 times and sync a great big PDF file just doesn't make any sense. So I can do that with the Onyx books. I can actually use a template, which is awesome. Uh, And then the other thing with the Remarkable is that it's great for when I'm in the meetings and I'm taking the notes, but it's terrible for sending those notes anywhere after the fact. Uh, The only way really to do it by using the, the OCR feature is to send yourself an email. And as much as I said earlier, email isn't necessarily the problem. I don't want additional anchors to my email. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I, I that just always rubbed me the wrong way. I don't want to send myself an email with my notes. I just want to send that file somewhere. And so Gonix Books uh, allows me to do that. But really what got this on my radar was that a friend told me about his Onyx Books and he got the Note Air 2 Plus. It's the a little bit older version 
uh, or not, I shouldn't say older version. It's it's a currently selling version, but it's not the the top of the line flagship model. The Onyx Books Tab Ultra is like the iPad Pro, and the it's got the camera for document scanning in the back, stuff like that. But the uh, the Note Air Two Plus, again, a horrible name, but that's uh, a much thinner device, and uh, that would probably be just just fine for me. It's more like a a tablet. This is actually a bit thicker and heavier than the. Uh, the remarkable um it's it's not a lot i mean the, the remarkable the dimensions here i uh, pulled them up it's 9.7 inches by 7.4 inches by 0.2 inches weighs 14.1 ounces right the onyx books tab ultra is 8.9 inches so a little bit shorter 7.3 about the same width wise 0.26 a little bit thicker and weighs 16.9 ounces so it's about almost three ounces heavier i mean that's i don't notice that day to day but if I was carrying it around all day, maybe I would notice that. It, three ounces makes no difference, though, when I throw it in my backpack and, and bring it somewhere. And honestly, these things are approaching iPad weights. I mean, they, they're not that much thinner or lighter than an iPad at this point. Exactly. And that's the thing. Um, I, I wrote a, an article about this for the, the Suite Setup, which has a whole bunch of pictures and one of the sections in there is who is this really for? And if you're comparing, you know, should I get this versus an iPad? I would tell people hundred percent, if you're looking at it feature for feature, get the iPad. <laughs> sure. It can do all the other stuff. I mean, you can even watch video on this. The, the screen is actually pretty impressive. When I thought e-ink, I thought that it's going to have a really, really slow refresh rate. I'm going to have to hit the refresh button manually all the time in order for it to, to look good. That has not been my experience, but it's still not the the thing that you're not going to use this as your main computing device. Yeah. Now, I, you could, I think, maybe use it as your main creating device. I remember Mike Vardy showed us one of those free writes. You know the 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 keyboard with the display, and all you can see is what you're typing. Yeah. There's a keyboard case that that you can get for this. I actually have it. That is very much like the smart keyboard for the iPad, the one without the the trackpad. Yeah. Um, I actually like these keys a little bit better. And, and if I wanted to, I could see myself grabbing this device with that keyboard attached, going to a coffee shop and doing some writing. Uh, however, I have not done that yet. I have that keyboard case, but I almost never use it. It is firmly entrenched itself as an end of day device for me. And I'm really happy about that. Well, it, it's such an interesting move right because you do have an ipad and you did get the remarkable but you really fell in love with the remarkable Uh, it didn't land for me but it did for you and uh, but you did have feature limitations so let's start with that Uh, what are the remarkable problems other than templates that this solves yeah well the the big problems uh i hit on these already there's no templates and there's no good way to to send notes to to people now, that's not completely Remarkable's fault. I mean, they do have Dropbox integration. I think they have integration with other cloud services as well. So if you just wanted a place to send your notes and you wanted the ability to look them up when you were on a different device, that's fine. But as we mentioned earlier, I am firmly anchored in the Obsidian-driven PKM universe. So yeah. I don't want those to be accessible via the Remarkable app, and I don't want them. I don't want to have to go to my email and grab that text and paste it inside of a note every time. I want to be able to just export this as a PDF and send it somewhere. 
that's great. I could do that very easily with the iPad. However, the iPad never really has stuck with me other than for sketch noting. So my iPad mini that I use, and I actually really do like that device still, that's pretty much the only thing I use it for. And I had a lot of iPad guilt <laughs> around that because it's a powerful device. It can do a lot. And I wasn't doing a lot with it. And that mindset switch of just using the right device for the, the right thing, that has been pretty freeing. So the iPad mini is firmly the, the sketch noting device. The Onyx Books is my end of day device. And it's really expensive for just something at the end of the day. But what I was really looking for was something that, yeah, I could take notes on for the, the day job and otherwise throughout the day. I have my Onyx books actually right next to my keyboard on my desk all day. So if I wanted to take a note, I just open up the notes app, got the the, the template that we designed, and then I, I put down the the notes and the, the notes section there, and then I figure out what to do with that later. I've also got just like the notebooks or the notebooks uh, or the folders, I guess, set up for the, the different different areas uh, with the the day job, for example, if I'm going to go to a meeting all day, I'll create a separate thing just for that. Um, so it's great to have all that that library together. But really, w- what this has really clicked with me is it's the end of the day. I want to make sure that I have completed my journaling routine. I want to plan tomorrow, and I want to do a little bit of reading without any blue light before I go to bed. The jobs to be done. Exactly. <laughs> what about the the use of Obsidian? Like, how do you put text into Obsidian with this device? Do you use a keyboard, or are you able to use the pen? Yeah. So that's a that's a great question. I do both. Um, there is the on screen keyboard, and you can hunt and peck with the stylus if you wanted to do it that way. Uh, there is also with the on screen keyboard. There's you can choose in the settings between the the stock Android on-screen keyboard or the the books version. And the books version has a couple different tool options that you can select from. And one has this box kind of like the uh, in GoodNotes, you can press the like the magnification view and then it gets really big. So it's like a combination of that plus scribble where you can write something in this box and then it will OCR it and it will paste that text into the, the, the section. So by the way, I'm terrible at self-promotion. I should have mentioned that I've created a digital journaling and obsidian course Yes, <laughs> where I kind of walk through all this. Um, but uh, I'll put a link to that in the, the show notes for anybody who is, is interested in that. But the workflow here at the end of the day is I open up my my daily note. I've got my my Onyx books in front of me, and I'll go through and I'll I'll respond to the the daily questions, which is just scale one to ten. How do how did I do today? Did I do my best to grow spiritually, love my wife, love my kids, etc.? And then there's the the different sections where I'll have the entries, and you know I'll just go in, I'll create a, a new journal entry, and then I'll actually write it out by hand, and then it OCRs it, drops it in there, and at uh, I'm basically done. So I have been doing the gratitude practice specifically at the end of the day. The journal entries, I try to do those as I go throughout my day, although I get busy and and tend to skip over those more often than I'd care to admit. So I do do a little bit of backfilling at the end of the day with the the journal entries as well that way. Sounds like it's working for you, though. Oh, I absolutely love this device. 
Uh, there is no reason for me to love it so much, <laughs> but I really do like it. Uh, I am a big believer in the, uh, the, the blue light. I know a lot of people say, I don't know that it makes any difference for me. Well, I can tell you it does make a difference for me and I have to care about it because when I was 18, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. So one of the things that can trigger a seizure is not getting enough rest. That could happen at any, any point. You don't feel it coming on. So I'm going to make sure that I am getting enough rest and I'm getting good rest. And one of the things that I recognize contributes to me not getting as good as sleep, having a hard time falling asleep at night, all that kind of stuff is looking at my phone before I go to bed, which is what I would default to because that was the thing that ran Obsidian. I don't want to go back down into my office and grab my laptop. Yeah. Right. So this is great. I can dot the I's, cross the T's with the journaling stuff. I've also been messing around with the, the Readwise Reader app. It's a phenomenal RSS app. I really like it. It has a, the ability to send all your newsletters there, so it's in line with all the, the RSS articles and things. And I've been reading those in the, the Reader app before I go to bed as well. I just get through a couple of them, and then I'll close it up and, and be done. I'm not, trying to, I'm not being a completionist. I'm not trying to get through everything. Uh, the real trick here for me is just in deciding where I'm going to draw the lines and making sure that I don't install the other things because it can run Slack. It can run Notion. It can run ClickUp. I could put those things on there and then I could get a head start on tomorrow by looking at those things. I don't want that temptation. I don't want to even go there. Well, you said earlier that you know this device is kind of like a unitasker for you, and I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. It's very common for people, especially you know, like when you're making podcasts, to say, "Oh, don't you know, don't buy that because this other thing you own can do the same thing." But sometimes having a separate thing to do that kind of work on means you'll do that kind of work better, or you'll do it uninterrupted or more focused, which is the entire point of this podcast. And I think there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you can afford it, obviously, don't mortgage the house to buy stuff. But if you can afford having it and a different device is what it takes to get you over that hill, I don't think you should be ashamed at all. Yeah, and that's that's the hurdle I had to get over because this is not a cheap device. It's a $600 device. Now, it does come with a, a case and the stylus and everything. So if you're going to add up all the the accessories that you would typically have to purchase with a device that isn't as outrageous as it first seems. But like I said, this is the top of the line, the flagship Onyx books. It's probably not the one that I should have bought. I probably should have got the Note Air 2 Plus, which is a couple hundred bucks less. Uh, And that would have done probably everything that I needed it to do. But the clincher for me was, as I was sitting there debating, do I really want to spend $600 on this device that I don't need? you know how many devices I have bought that I don't need? (laughs) (laughs) I had an iPad for years trying to justify, oh, I could take this and do everything for my day job on it. I never did it, right? So essentially the iPad, as I mentioned earlier, has been reduced, if you want to call it that, to a sketchnote machine. And I'm fortunate that I can have the ability and I have the means to solve my end-of-day routine with this device. And once I got over feeling bad about how much money I was throwing at solving that specific problem, this has actually made a pretty positive and significant improvement in my 
morning and evening routines. I don't feel the siren song of the the phone anymore. And it's uh, a lot easier to just put that down and and not look at it the rest of the day. And I 100% believe that that translates into me being able to transition to sleep better, waking up more rested, hitting the ground running with everything else that I need to do. I'm getting up earlier since I got this device. <laughs> I don't think that's a that's a coincidence. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're very happy with the purchase. I, it's not for me. I thought about it when you told me you were getting it. I looked into it. And for me, I it just drives me nuts that it's not an iPad, <laughs> you know. So we're all we're all different. I I like my iPad. I take notes on it. I use it for more than you do. And this type of stuff, it's fine for. Although I will admit, um, I did buy a a Kindle Scribe and sent it back. I just didn't. I was not impressed with the pen stuff on it. But ever since I sent it back, I kind of miss it <laughs> because <laughs> I read a lot of Kindle books. And the one thing a Kindle scribe is really good at is reading Kindle books and that bigger screen. So I, at some point I may go back and get one of those or in the next generation, I don't know, but I'm not looking to do what you're doing with your stuff. Yeah. And that is completely fair. I was going to ask you about the Amazon scribe uh, experience because that was another thing you had kind of mentioned to me, like what is the, the, Kindle experience like on it. And again, I'm comparing it to the the old paper white, but feels the same. And Readwise is great. I mentioned I'm using the reader app that actually ties into the Readwise subscription. So I'm a Readwise uh, subscriber now, which uh, has me wanting to read certain books on the Onyx books. Uh, yeah. I put in the notes, some books, right? Because I am never going to... <laughs> rescind my uh, my paper books but uh I, it is a, a pleasant experience and you can highlight it and you can have it go directly to readwise which then means you know you could have it if you wanted to go directly to obsidian or, or anywhere else it's a, a a really cool workflow um, I did however get a screen protector for it because I do think that the writing experience out of the box on this is not as nice as the remarkable so I bought, it's called a Doodrew screen protector, and it is very tactile. It almost feels like a mechanical pencil on a piece of paper at, at this point. So it's a little bit, little bit more friction than I am used to, but I do like the writing experience on this a lot. Uh, just writing on the screen, though, kind of drove me crazy. This episode of the Focus Podcast is brought to you by Indeed. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Just head to Indeed.com slash focused. The thing about running your own business is every single hire counts, and no hiring partner understands that like Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Instant Match really is incredible. Candidates who invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in a search, according to U.S. Indeed data. 
So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows hiring needs to be cost-effective when you're running your own business. So that's Indeed.com slash focus to start hiring now. I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash focus. If you go to Indeed.com slash focus, terms and conditions apply, and cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Focus Podcast and all of Relay FM. So, Mike, I got asked to speak at a high school. My daughter is a high school teacher, so she needed a speaker for something or another. And they knew that I make content for a living. So they said, let's get a content creator in here. So a big group of kids showed up thinking that I was going to be an Instagram star or something like that. And instead, they got a middle-aged, gray-haired nerd, which was kind of fun. <laughs> they got a Max Sparky. Nice. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to see what would happen if I could land with them. I, I've done a lot of speaking over the years, and I've got a lot of tricks up my sleeve, but I hadn't really aimed it at teenagers stuck in, in high school before. Uh, so I decided to to really focus on the idea that being a content creator means you have to have interesting things to say and to do that, you have to get an education. So it it really, I'm not sure they got what they wanted, but one of the pieces of it that I spent a lot of time talking about was focus and just this whole challenge of TikTok. And the reason TikTok in particular was because uh, my daughter said, dad, these kids watch TikTok 24 seven. It's like, uh, you know, that's the platform that they're on. And they can't put it down. You know, they'll look you in the eye and say, I promise I won't watch it anymore. And then five minutes later, they're watching it again. You know, they're of an age where their brains aren't even fully developed. They, you know, it's very difficult for them to put these things down. And, and she witnesses this addictive behavior every day. So I wanted to address that. And in that wall street journal article where they went through and talked about how they ran their own bots against TikTok and, the statistics and numbers they got where I think I don't remember the exact details now, but I think it was after 37 minutes, TikTok was feeding it something like 94% of sadness and depression videos because the bot that they set up had a sadness and depression tendency. And these weren't videos telling you, Hey, you should get some help. They're videos that just start, you know, sucking you down the vortex and trying to make the point to these kids that you know these companies are not there to help you they're there to monetize you and i was surprised at how well it landed i mean of course some of them were asleep and not paying attention but afterwards i had a lot of questions that's awesome so what were some of the questions that you got asked you know how to avoid it you know would you know, there were some people asking me about what it's like to be a creator and you know how how do you survive you know how do you get started <laughs> right yeah but then the stuff related to the the social media problems was i use the term maker or, or creation versus consumption or you know maker and mm-hmm. that asked brought a lot of questions too because i made the point that the people that are making the tiktok videos are not the people watching them and I don't think they had ever thought about it that way. Gotcha. Sorry to put you on the the spot. I'm just yeah. kind of curious. I, I think your your daughter's class maybe is kind of moving in the 
what we would consider the right direction based on some of the classroom rules that you <laughs> you sent me. Oh yeah, my my daughter has this funny thing where because it's such a problem that she made um, these class rules where if you're caught using a phone in class, she writes your name, and if she gets five names, then she gives an extra test that's graded and counts against your grade. And the top of the test has a list of the names of the people that caused the test to come into existence. And <laughs> that was the solution. I mean, she, she, she fought this in so many different ways. She didn't want to be the teacher who said, you got to put your phone in a drawer when you walk in and blah, blah, blah. She didn't want to be the police, but mm-hmm. this was her, uh, her compromise. It's actually worked out pretty well for her. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing that I have a little bit, trouble just really wrapping my my head around uh tiktok is not something that appeals to me in in the least yeah but i i know it's the the next big thing and i'm just kind of curious what uh what people who that's their basis for what their knowledge around content creation you know how do they think about the the content creation process differently than all of the stuff that we talked about in, uh, in this episode, because you don't need to have a, a team and you don't have to have really polished content in order for the TikTok algorithm to decide this is something that we should show millions of, of people. And I'm just kind of curious how that maybe changes the approach. You know, if, if we were going to try to make that type of stuff, what would we do differently? I don't even know where to start with that. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, we wouldn't make that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, looking at it te- from a teenager's perspective, what they really would like is to be an influencer. I'm almost holding up air quotes as I say the words, right? But there is such a thing on platforms like Instagram, people who are influencers, they get, maybe free products or maybe they make more money than you and I do combined, but there, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole spectrum there, but what you don't see, and this is one of the points I made is you don't see TikTok influencers because it's not, the whole thing is fed to you by an algorithm. So at any point, sure. the, the masters of TikTok decide what you're going to see next. You don't sign up for, for a creator, you know, and people who get any sort of influence in TikTok, the first thing they do is they go to some other platform where they have a little bit more control. There is something important though, that you mentioned about the creation versus consumption mindset. You know, you don't decide, uh, I I don't think necessarily, maybe you do. I'm going to be a a creator, but my, my journey to that title, I guess, and I'm still kind of hesitant to embrace that because uh, I just share what I know, <laughs> but I do think that when it comes to um, the devices and the information that is the portal to gaining the information, you can default to just consuming it. And that's something that we've tried to be very intentional at my house with shaping and I don't want to say forcing, but trying to nudge in what we consider to be the right direction in terms of intentional technology use. And that's one of our mantras is create, not consume, right? So when it comes to our kids and their screen time, I have no problem with them using devices. I just want them to be making something with them. I don't want them to just 
be endlessly scrolling. I don't want them to be in the infinity pools that uh, John Zarotsky talked about um, when we we talked to him. Right? It, it it's incredibly powerful technology that allows us to do some amazing things. So let's put it to good use, and uh, that's why my oldest son does a lot of the editing for my my other podcasts and. Joshua is my uh, my second oldest. He's getting into like graphic design. He's created this this uh, little logo for the Bookworm podcast. When Joe and I both rate a book as high as we can, we call it a golden book, right? So he's got this little seal that he made uh, that goes on the the chapter artwork when we get to the the style and rating section. And I, I'm I don't want to make it seem like this is a a bad thing and this is something that you should avoid. I just want to teach them to go into it with both eyes open and to use it intentionally for their purposes instead of them being the the product and the uh the algorithms and the companies behind them using their attention for their purposes. Well, I also think the uh, something a point here is that if you are a creator and I know it's no fun to call yourself that it sounds so lame, but you know, I, I'm really, I feel like myself more as a teacher than a creator, but if you're going to create stuff and put it on the internet, you need to think about the platforms you use intentionally as well. And you know, a lot of the platforms out there are not particularly creator friendly. And you know, if you're going to, if you're going to create something, you should create in a way that you can control it. Good point. I would also say that the creating is something we should all be thinking about when it comes to all this information that we're absorbing. Doesn't mean you need to start a podcast. Doesn't mean you need to have a YouTube channel. Doesn't mean you got to post to a blog. But this is really at the heart of everything PKM related, I believe, is that there has to be an output. It's not just collecting all the stuff and sticking it in an archive and now I can go find it sometime when I, I need to. But what value is this giving me now? And, and ultimately, I feel like creativity and productivity are, are linked. And that's a whole other topic is just the whole idea of productivity and how do you communicate that to kids? We've tried to be careful about that with our, our oldest specifically. He's very much like me, he can be very hard on himself. If you give him a big list of this is what you got to get done today, he'll get it done. He might kill himself in the process, but he'll, he'll get it done. And so trying to get him to relax, you know, like you're a kid, go have, go have fun. You don't need to cover for somebody else because they, they didn't do what, what they needed to do. But, um, the reason behind it, it's not just to do the the classwork. It's not just to, to get the, the grade. Those are good things. I mean, that's valid use case for productivity. But uh, a big reason why we homeschool our kids was a TED Talk that we came across a long time ago about this 13-year-old kid who gave this TED Talk, and he's homeschooled, and he calls it hack schooling. I can put the link in the show notes if people are interested in this, but basically it was applying all of the academic stuff to things that he was interested in. And so he's big into snowboarding and he's a 13 year old kid who runs his own snowboarding apparel company, right? Because he's got a question about something and his parents are encouraging him, well, go figure it out. Right. And because it's something that he's interested in, he's able to do that. Uh, And so I feel like that 
balance between productivity and, and creativity is worth fostering, uh, especially in in kids. Everything seems to be easier when you're a kid. It's an easy. It's easier to learn a, a second language, and so I think it it applies to productivity and creativity as well. If you can get in that mindset when you're you're young, you can use that to your advantage, and it can kind of direct your interactions with the the technology based tools that that we use to get our work done. Yeah, I think the trick with kids and productivity is not to force them into it, but to lead them into it and you know demonstrate how it can work and some will be interested and some won't. I mean, that talk I gave it at my daughter's school had a lot of productivity and there was a couple kids later asking questions and, you know, one of them in particular really stood out to me, you know, like he's, he really is trying to figure this out. You know, he's a kid that doesn't have a lot of opportunity right now and uh, thinking about college. And so I got him a Chris Bailey book. Yeah. The um, Productivity Project, which is, I think, such a great entry-level book for this kind of stuff. And my daughter said, oh, yeah, I was walking across campus, and he was sitting on the bench reading that book. And then I asked him about it, and he started spewing all this stuff to me that I've never heard before. Because she never, you know, I never, I didn't get there with her, you know. That stuff mm-hmm. didn't land with her. and But it landed with this kid. You know? And uh, I think there is, there's something to to give it to them, but not force it to them. And you just have to kind of find the middle ground. So my second daughter uh, was going to UCLA and she's nervous. You know, you're going to college. You've always done well in high school. You don't want to do poorly in college. So I bought her the Cal Newport straight A book and she follows that and it works for her, but she had to want it. You know what I mean? It's like getting through to kids is not as easy as just telling them the facts. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a, information problem not just for kids but for all of us yeah it's a behavioral problem and uh yeah they, they've got to take ownership of it you know my my oldest really likes that that cal newport book too i think you're talking about the high school superstar one or there's a maybe there's a different one about college uh but that's a great resource uh he really enjoyed that he actually gave it to a bunch of his classmates already but you're right some of them they latch onto it and some of them are not interested in it at all. He's going through the phase right now where it's kind of like, well, why don't they care? Yeah. <laughs> why don't they respond the same way I do? I'm like, yeah. I get it, Toby. I get it. <laughs> the book I got her was called how to become a straight A student. Uh, so that gotcha. was, so I guess he has two of these now. That was the original one, the 2006 and 2010. He came out with another one about superstar. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we that's not going to be a problem we can solve today, but getting kids into into this stuff can be good for them, hopefully, in a healthy way, right? That's the other thing. Kids can become obsessive. You want to make sure you don't you don't create a monster. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, if you want to find links to everything that we discussed today, you can do that in the show notes. You can find the show notes at relay.fm slash focused slash 171, where there is an email form. If you want to leave us feedback, you can also check in at the forum, talk.macpowerusers.com. We've got a a room at the MPU Inn. So uh, if you would like to chime in on the discussion about comms and focus, project management, or how you're 
planning to teach productivity to your kids, uh, that would be a great place to do it. Thank you to our sponsors this week. That is Nom Nom, Squarespace, and Indeed. And we'll talk to you next time.